quit chess. Welcome, everybody, to the Bull and the Badger podcast. My name is Vanessa, and to my left, I have April, because you can't see her. Hi. Oh, hey. Oh, hey. <laughs> oh, oh, hey. Oh, hey there. <laughs> this is the podcast where Asian American culture and mental health intersect. You did it! Woo! We should, we should start scoring ourselves, because <laughs> now that we were expected to get it right, like... We should, like, that was like, you know, out of five, you know, it's like a three. <laughs> like, you could have had more enthusiasm. Could have been more, you know, exciting. I think you did a great job. Thank you. I'm... <laughs> I can sense you, you need the encouragement. I know. <laughs> I was like, fishing, fishing. <sighs> wow. Uh, we did it. Um, end podcast. Uh, so what are we talking about today, Vanessa? Today we're going to talk about dads and dad and fathers and father figures and then um we uh got to recently have an episode about moms and we thought it only fair to talk about fathers and father figures and um yeah do you have any funny stories about your pops i feel like i've shared so many crazy dad theories that i want to know some of yours because Oh, man i mean not necessarily dad theories but dad stories yeah i guess okay so like the one that I always tell people is my dad always says like randomly antiquated phrases. <laughs> and it's like, it's like one of my favorite ones. Cause it's just like, well, that's, that's weird. Nobody actually says that anymore. Um, Oh, I, I have like two like go-to stories about my dad. And so the one thing he like said one time, like he dropped the word icebox <laughs> for refrigerator. And I was like, what? <laughs> From another era. <laughs> and suddenly we were all like wearing like different clothes. It was like a wishbone moment where suddenly we we're like in another time. Wishbone moment. But it's peanut. It's peanut. <laughs> oh, man. We're all wearing top hats and... I don't know what, what bonnets. Sure, why not? Icebox. Um, that's where my heart used to be. Anyway, um, my second dad story um, is that uh, he grew up with like a lot of. Um, he grew up with like a variety of people in terms of like diversity and race, and um, he would say he would tell me that he would hang out with all the black kids because the the Latino kids were like beating up on them, like the Asian kids. And I was like, oh cool. And he's like, yeah, I learned to like speak like they did, and then I had to go to speech therapy to unlearn. <laughs> oh wow, how to speak? Yeah. So my dad sometimes like would randomly like go into this weird slangy. Like, Did you say icebox with the Latino accent? No, it wouldn't be Latino. It would be like oh, Ebonics, show. Ebonics You'd be accent. like, yo, icebox. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it would sound like. But it, but it's so funny to me because it's just like, I'm trying to like, uh, like, he's like, you know, in his 60s, old Chinese dude. He's not old. He's, you're so young, dad. 60 years young. Um, Let me just, is can we just like um, admit that maybe this topic fills a fills us with a bit more trepidation than other topics. Yeah. And I mean, we should talk about why that is. Right. But I mean, like in general, it's just kind of like, 
I think because like we're allowed, we're expected to gush about our moms and we're expected to like be like, oh, moms, you know, like, and moms are silly or, you know, like whatever. But like, well, moms are softer generally. Yeah. And, And they let you say things that you shouldn't. What? No, I don't. I don't know <laughs> where it's going with that. I don't know. I feel like I. I um, sometimes you feel like you get a lot more grace from your mom, even though my mom was the first one to get mad at us. Like, yeah. <laughs> like if we were in trouble, like she'd be like, like she's the first one to raise her voice, and then dad gets real quiet. Yeah. And that's when you're in trouble. Yeah. I can relate to that. <laughs> really, actually, so who are you more like, your dad or your mom? Um. I. I people always tell me I'm more like my dad but in a lot of ways i see my like myself and my mom yeah like it but it's in like the silly things like the like like the way that the family treats my mom versus my dad is how i feel like they treat me where like they're kind of like oh yeah they're there (laughs) vanessa like go sit in the corner and do your little artsy things yeah and it's not that they do that with her but like like we always like she's always spilling things on her shirt (laughs) sorry mom oh my gosh I'm just you are not making up for last I know I have to say only good things like at this point like she smells like roses all the time and etc etc anyway uh, but I think I think I have a lot of both of them like the the hospitality and the way that my mom is warm and um, you know very brings people in and my dad has that quality too but I think my mom specifically just from her family the way that she um, interacts with people it's it's like people are instantly drawn to that Mm -hmm. and then um like for my dad like there's a like a deep interest in you know like like very uh, like intellectual and like also like social topics that can be controversial and things like that and like oh there's this one moment where in history you know when you're learning about like mlk and like the <laughs> vietnam war and you're like like you go home and you talk about that with your parents and then you ask them where they stood mm-hmm. and i remember my dad i was like like because he, he went to davis and and i was like dad did you march and he was like yeah i marched and like he was like protesting and stuff i was like mom did you march you know like because yeah. you want it because in your mind and, and at least in those history classes those people are heroes do you know what i'm saying like there was something like whoa like really romanticized about that movement at least from from my perspective like they were standing up for something and then my mom was like it was really scary mm-hmm. and that was her answer mm-hmm. you know like and, and I think at the UCs, they really cracked down. Uh-huh. Like, there was, like, a police presence and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And it was just kind of, like, I wasn't, like, less proud of my mom, but I was, like, oh. Like, like just perspective on... What You're always having all these mom epiphanies, I feel. <laughs> well, how come you, you don't have mom, mom epiphanies? Mom epiphany. Well, it's, it's... She caused that one. Like, <laughs> like, like... She, like things she said to make me think i don't you know it's like those moments all right are you gonna share a dad story or what um i i don't have one. Oh my gosh get but, up go home but go to, home. to answer my own question <laughs> oh yes, yes um what parent am i more like i'm for sure more like my dad um in in all the frustrating ways um, yeah <laughs> but um you know like sometimes you see on television like people women like being very offended if like their partner says that they're becoming more and more like their mother. Mm. I know, I know I'm becoming more and more like my father, Um. like just like so, 
stubborn about ideas of like how to live a successful life and, you know, um, how much should you put yourself before others or vice versa? And, um, what happens when you have those moments? Like when you have your dad epiphanies, I don't know. It's there, you know, 50% of it is like, because I'm, I don't know, for instance, arguing with my boyfriend about the right way to do something. And then I say, God, do it like this. And then I'm like, that's what my dad says. And, and I ha I intellectually, I, I can, I can sort of evaluate it and go, okay, well, it, when you're in the other side of that, that's not enjoyable, mm. you know, to be told what to do and what's right and what's wrong, but I can't quite connect, you know, the like, maybe I should stop. I'm just going to go at it harder. Mm. If that makes any sense. No, makes complete sense. <sighs> yeah. It's hard. It's like, a, it's harder to like follow through with I that. I feel like, myself <gasps> becoming like old. Like bum, bum, old bum. and like set in my ways and like, mm. you know, like, and it's hard to go against that, you know, when you're faced. Cause then, you know, I start to think like, you know, people who are adults and act Not, a certain way aren't necessarily doing it because they just choose to be that way. Sometimes it's the life um, circumstances that you face. It's difficult, you mm -hmm. know, trying to make a living, trying to raise a family. It's really hard to do that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when you, you know, it, it turns you into something, Yeah. you know, that maybe in ideal circumstances you wouldn't want to be like that. And so I can sort of like feel that sort of adulthood, like heaviness mm. and like, you know, pressure and all that stuff. And I don't know how to stop it. Let's, let's ask our guest. Oh, well, first we'll ask well, we him. We have a dad. Yeah. We totally have a dad. So he's like, we you kidnapped know. a dad. Yeah. We threw him in our, your trunk, not my trunk, your trunk. In my little Prius trunk? <laughs> that sucks. It was an extra covert mission. I guess I could put down the, like the back seats and then throw him in <laughs> and then it'd be less problematic. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he's been patiently waiting and we'll also ask him if he's more like his mom or his dad, but first we'll introduce them. Thank you, Ken, for sitting so patiently, also waiting for the spinach dip that I was supposed to make, but then April <laughs> ended up making it and then I did turn on the oven properly. Anyways, well, welcome. Welcome. Thank um, you. So Ken, um, Ken is, or at least the first time, um, I met him and knew him, he, um, was... And he may still be currently the head of uh, Evergreen Baptist Church of Los Angeles. And um, but the other circumstances, uh, other circumstance that we got to actually like shake hands and like um, high five, I don't know, over being Asian American. I don't know. But was um, he's also the head of the Asian American Initiative at Fuller Theological Seminary, um, which um, I'd love to, you know, if you want to break that down a little bit. I feel like we have a lot to cover, but <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll pick and choose and we'll find like, you know the best bits um can you can you tell us a little bit about yourself that i know i left a lot of gaps in your history <laughs> yeah gee where do i start um yeah Maybe the womb i'm i'm actually well i'll go back to sacramento that's the womb uh, sacramento. uh yeah yeah i didn't know your father in sacramento but uh when i did meet him um it was after he came down to uh, be the English pastor at First Chinese Baptist in Chinatown. And then I found out he was from Sacramento. I was like, ooh, Yifao, Second City. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, right. Um, but we ran in very different circles. Um, I didn't learn how to speak Ebonics like he did. So <laughs> I'm I, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's still time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I am. I am trying to back learn it. 
Um, but yeah, I moved down here in 1978 uh, to go to Fuller Seminary and uh, did my internship at Evergreen Baptist Church of Los Angeles when I was still in East L.A. And then um, was part of uh, the whole movement to make the kind of one of the first, if not the first, English-speaking Chinese-Japanese churches in the United States, or we like to think that was. Um, So yeah, I've been there for over 30 years. Um, I'm uh, transitioning uh, gradually. Uh, The next 18 months, uh, I will be retiring from uh, doing the, the pastor thing. Uh, and uh, go full time at Fuller. Wait, and you're not like the Pope. You don't have to. You have that. You don't have that like status for life. I feel like even after that, like you're still gonna have to like marry people. And- uh, yeah. Well, um, I've already I've already determined that um, to to give props to whoever's gonna come after me that I need to shut that down pretty pretty soon after I retire because otherwise they're still coming to me. Uh, yeah. And and so um, they need to transfer their their not allegiance, their, their connection, their emotional connection to whoever's going to be their next pastor. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm both the executive director of the Asian American Initiative, which I'll, I'll explain in like Woo-hoo. two shakes. But uh, I'm also assistant, pro, uh, assistant professor of Asian American Church Studies, which um, really comes down to I don't have a PhD. I have a doctor of ministry, but I have over 30 years of experience mm-hmm. of actually doing it. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's kind of cool. I get to uh, train the next wave of uh, pastors and leaders. And I think they appreciate. No, I know they appreciate that. You know, like we're reading stuff and I go, that's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that guy, that guy, that guy never. Oops. Something happened here. Oh, I think I laughed too loud. I said broke. Okay. Yeah, I said, you know, that guy obviously never never did this or hasn't done it in the last five years. Uh, so that that's pretty exciting to me. It has its own challenges. Uh, the Asian American Initiative at Fuller, as I like to say, is uh, it's finally after, you know, all these decades, uh, Asian American students are going to get their money's worth when they come to Fuller. Uh, yeah, um, because... And we're our own worst enemy because we don't even ask for those classes. I say when the right. African American student or Latino student comes, I go, "Excuse me, there's no church, on, there's no class on black preaching. Uh, I'm not getting my money's worth." Asian American students never ask that. Yeah, it's like, oh, I'll just I'll just take the regular preaching class. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of stuff we've developed, and cool. uh, really to to help them get a Asian American context to even if they're not Asian American but they feel called to that ministry is just like. Okay, so do you understand what makes Asian Americans tick? Uh, because you're just going to jump into this, and then you know, e- e- even if you are, we haven't really learned to ask those questions. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm curious. I, this is totally off topic, but I'm curious how you don't like. It's interesting because I feel like yes, Asian Americans would totally submerge their identity into a larger, like more dominant, like white, you know, Western kind of identity when it's clearly, definitely not. And I only have like wispy theories about Asian American Christian culture and things like that. But, you know, like how do you not get stuck? And I think partly it's, it's the 30 years of experience, but I'm curious how, you know, the program is trying to, maybe that's, is that too, maybe this is like, not. Yeah. it's too far. It's too far. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll just say this. I'll, I'll say this, that <laughs> it's not just 30 years of being a pastor. I think a lot of Asian uh, Americans are pastoring but they're not necessarily trying to fix what's wrong, mm. okay? And I think there's been a huge grace leak, if I can use that term. Um, I love that term. Yeah, and so we're just legalists. We're, we're just trying so hard to make God happy with us. And, and it's like, that's wrong, 
right? So for the last 20 of those 30 years, I've been trying to fix the grace leak. So that's what I'm bringing to my students is to say, first of all, there's a grace leak in you. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then second of all, so until you address the grace leak in you, you have no way to address it in everybody else. Mm-hmm. So you got to go on the hero's journey yourself first before oh, no. you can take that's, everybody else. That's too scary, Ken. Please don't make <laughs> yeah, us do that. Yeah, yeah. Please don't make us acknowledge our brokenness and how we were raised and the silence and shame we grew up with yeah. and how... Let's just make documentaries about it. No! <laughs> oh, that, that would that would be, that'd be another way. That sounds like a terrible idea. <laughs> yeah. Like, don't put yourself in your own documentary. Don't put your parents in there. Yeah, don't have a surprise ending either. Don't have a surprise yeah. ending. Oh, guy, uh, none of it. Or all of it, apparently. Um, and I think this is actually a good segue into talking a little bit about um, a little bit about parents. And, you know, um, I mean, some of the, you know, things that we uh, that we grew up with or that um, we inherit. That's the word I was looking for that we just inherit from our folks, you know, and I think that is part of the Asian American church too, is that the idea of legalism is not just something that was given to us by the church. It's also something that we get from our peers and from, you know, the way that we grew up. So sure. first let's go back though a little bit. Who are you more like, you know, your mom or your, your, your dad? Um, I would say the obvious answer is my mom. Okay. Uh, my mom uh, was very much a vibrant person and, and all this kind of stuff. I think because of her own poor upbringing and the discrimination uh, during those days, she never got to go to college. Mm-hmm. And I think that always kind of weighed on her. But I think she compensated by having this really vibrant personality. Mm-hmm. And um, so she raised us to not be the wallflowers. Right. And, and so... Uh, I, I would, without hesitation, I'll tell people if I have any ego strength, it comes directly from my mother, hmm. right? She would say, you could do anything you want, right? So what do you want to do? And she was not a tiger mom in that sense. Uh, she raised in those days, there was one, my, my older sister uh, who's passed away. And then my, myself, my two younger brothers, she raised all the sons to be president of the United States. <laughs> Literally. It's like, that's why you're not going to Chinese school. That's why, you know, yeah. it's good you speak English without an accent. And you need to run for office now. I know it's sixth grade. <laughs> right? So all of that, um, I think that's probably, uh, she was the most dominant voice in my head. Mm. Uh, and even to this day. I learned in therapy, though. Okay, I learned in therapy about 20 years ago that my dad also had uh, a profound influence in shaping me. And I had, because of my my parents' dysfunctional marriage, um, I had kind of blocked off my father, right? And so uh, there's this moment in therapy, and he says, so Ken, who's had the biggest influence on your life, your mom or your dad? I go, my mom. He goes, why do you say that, right? And I told him what I just told you. Uh-huh. He goes like, oh, then it's your dad. <gasps> And I'm like, dude, I'm paying you a lot of money and you have two PhDs. <laughs> what is it that you don't understand what I, uh, what I just said? And he's like, no, see, who you are to your mom is not a mystery to you. Who you are to your father, you don't know. And then I started bawling. Oh, good. Right, right. Yeah. And I'm like, no, <laughs> does, my dad, does my dad acknowledge me? Is he proud of me? Right, because my mom tells me every chance she gets, I'm so proud of you, right? Mm. You can do anything with it was my father's just kind of this cardboard cutout of Han Solo that's at Savon. <laughs> so, right? So, so um, 
that then we explored that. Yeah. And, and that was fascinating. And, and he said, well, where did you learn how to be a man? You didn't learn that from your from your mom. And then I, I just kind of realized that, wow, even the things I'm doing now, even though my dad would never make the connection where I have to stick my neck out, where I have to be courageous. That's my dad. Like he fought in World War Two when he was 19. Oh, wow. Right. All, all this kind of stuff. So. Um, so if you ask me today, which you are, uh, I would say certainly growing up, the formative person, the voice in my head, positive voice, <laughs> was my mom. But uh, I got to give props to my dad. Sure. Awesome. Can I ask, um, what, when you made that discovery and you, you, you know, after, after the tears had kind of dried a little bit, like what was that emotional journey in terms of like figuring these things out about your dad? Cause it sounds like there's a lot of like, you know, pride and acknowledgement, but there's also still like, uh, um, like a distance where you felt like, you know, I, I regret the fact that he was kind of a cardboard cutout in my life. Yeah. Well, um, one of the things that we talked about a lot was uh, because of my parents' dysfunctional relationship and because I was the oldest son, uh, I was act- my mom was the only daughter in her family. And her mom, I think to this, we look back and I think she had an undiagnosed mental, mental illness. Uh, she was one of my maternal grandmother was one of the last women to have bound feet. In, mm-hmm. in China, and she grew up in a poor family. I learned all this later, right? And wow. so, so it was one of those deals where, okay, your mom's gonna cripple you with the hopes that someday your prince will come. Mm-hmm. And then her prince never came. And so then they matched her to this widower, this poor widower in Seattle. And so she's just bitter the rest of her life. Like, mm-hmm. oh great, oh. you're no prince, and mm-hmm. I'm crippled. Mm-hmm. So she really took it out on my mom. So when my mom was first pregnant with my sister, she wanted to relive her whole life through my sister. Mm-hmm. And I checked with my sister later because they had a very awkward relationship. Sure. And I think that was my, my mom's biggest regret. And it's like, no, my, I didn't have a great relationship with my mom. So I was going to have a great relationship with my daughter mm-hmm. and she doesn't want me. Mm-hmm. So I asked my sister and she said, oh, I, I knew by four that mom was trying to relive her life through me. Oh. And I decided. Four? Yeah. She says, nope, you don't get to. Oh. Wow. Yeah. And my, my sister was pretty and talented and sing. so all the things but the one thing is she didn't want her my mom to relive her life so when she was pregnant with me she was willing me to be a girl because she had already failed to have that connection with my sister so she only picked girls names okay so like that let's um, go through the list yeah yeah well i was going to be dorita, dorita. okay yeah so i don't know she was on this mexican kick <laughs> And there was no chip in those days, so I don't know where she got this. It, there were only tacos. Yeah, so it was going to be Dorita, and my next brother was going to be Juanita. Uh, oh, wow. And so I, I don't know where that was coming from. But um, so she had a white uh, pediatrician who had only delivered, well, had delivered a lot of Chinese babies, and he kind of knew that they typically want sons. So when I, you know, when, when uh, I wasn't, a, uh, well, when I was a son, he thought, oh, you must be seven. She was like, no. And wow. and so I was from the from the moment I came out of her, I was set up to be disenfranchised from her because she didn't want me. Um. Okay, but I was a blue baby. I had the umbilical cord around my neck, so they didn't know for how long I my brain been without oxygen, which explains a lot of things to some people. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> today, but not but, the paint eating. Yeah, but I I felt like yeah, <laughs> I felt like um, that was God's grace in my life very early because. It threw my mom into a relationship with me where she had to do therapy with me and all that kind of stuff that I don't think I actually oh. required, right? But then we became the closest, right? Uh-huh. Right. But when she's having problems with my father, 
and I'm mom's obvious favorite, then my father doesn't like me. Okay. And what I discovered in therapy was my mom had made me her emotional husband. Mm -hmm. So she's telling me stuff that mothers should not tell their sons about their husbands. So, so I grew up seeing my father in just uh, a negative, you know, uh, image. So it's like, okay, one day when I get to be married and a husband and a father, I'm going to be the opposite of everything my dad was. Uh-huh. Right. So that's that's complete. So there was just you're all negative. And then in therapy, I realized that my mom's need to have me being her emotional husband robbed me of my relationship with my father. Ah, uh, yes. Does that make sense? So then I had some time to make up. Mm-hmm. So so I would when I go back to Sacramento, uh, I'd be I'd never talk to my father. Um, so I sit in the living room. I go, so, Dad, you know, I just uh, I just need to know you better. Right. And he start, just start to talk. And then my mom would walk in and go, that's not true. <gasps> right. So it literally took my mom dying. Right. And then for my dad and I to have that kind of conversation. So two days after she died, I was up there and we talked for like almost an hour. And I said, Dad, can I ask you? Did mom's problems with you and your problems with mom, does that affect your relationship with me? And he goes, yeah. And I said, well, it really affected my relationship with you. And I said, now that I've been away from home for you know, 30 years, I realized you put up with a lot of mom's crap. Mm-hmm. Right? I used to see you as like the villain in yeah. the story. And it's just like, you're amazing and patient, right? Mm-hmm. You're not perfect. Nobody is. And so there was so much healing that began to happen in our little encounter so that when when my dad finally passed away, um, I felt like it would have been nice if I was there, but I didn't have to be hmm. because we had already figured it out. Wow. Mm-hmm. Right. And he told me he was proud of me. Whoa. He told me he loved me. Right. In that stiff cardboard Han Solo sort of way. <laughs> but I couldn't make him say that. Yeah. Right. And I told him the same thing. So it literally took my mom not being around to butt in. Right. Because she couldn't risk in her mm. world, there's only room for, for one, right, mm. uh, in, in, my, in my view screen. Uh-huh. And I'm trying to tell us, like, look, I have two parents. Yeah. Well, thank you for telling that story. I, I feel like that's a lot, you know, like, that's a lot to unpack. <laughs> it is a lot to unpack, and it's, it's almost disorienting. No pun intended. <laughs> oh, was that racist? <laughs> uh, no, shut racist it down. Shut it down. To 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 speak so openly about an Asian American dad. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just like hard. Well, even the fact that you told him you're proud of him too. I think that opposite affection. Like it, I I I'm kind of curious because. Um, and and we'll talk a little bit about the doc too but sometimes for children inter- when interacting with their parents they're not sure who's supposed to initiate and a lot of times we as children put the pressure on our parents to be the stronger ones to be the ones capable of bridging the gap or healing any hurts and we want that we want them to be like you know what i'm sorry you know and we want to be the ones who say you know i forgive you you know like as if we're not you know, we're not complicit in anything that's happened, you know, after we're adults. But I mean, do you, you know, I'm curious who initiated those kinds of words, because it sounds like, at least from what I can tell, like, those are words that you never ever heard. No, um, except it, from it, your dad. Well, either he never heard them from me. 
And I certainly never heard them from him. Mm-hmm. But um, I just realized, I mean, his normal thing is he sits in the corner on his, his spot, kind of like Sheldon on, on the Big Bang Theory, <laughs> and he reads his newspaper while the whole family just kind of does their thing, right? And um, so in order to break into that, I, I would actually have to initiate it. He's not going to put down his newspaper, mm. right? Or he's dozing over there. So um, I had to will myself. I, I had to determine, like, I don't get up there that often, maybe once or twice a year. It has to be face-to-face, right? So it's like, okay, next time on this trip, I'm only there for a couple of days. Uh, I'm just going to go over, sit, sit down next to him. And hopefully he's going to fold the newspaper, I think it would be uncool for me to take it from him and fold it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're doing this now. Yeah, it's like make make a hat and put it on him and make it. What I mean. Yeah. So I, you I, have the newspaper close by. Yeah. Right. So if you want to read it, it's on my head. Um, no, and and it was really awkward. I mean, there, there's times when I've I tried to do it over the phone because you know you call home and he has to pick up the phone. But we've never had any connection over the phone. So usually it's like, oh, oh here's your mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And, and so if I was ready to say it, uh, now I'm talking to my mom. So, yeah, I, I just said it's it's not it's not uh, a negative thing that he's not initiating this. And the thing, you know, I, I've come to appreciate so much more um, people's backstories. Right. As it they all make up who we are. Mm-hmm. And one of my very wise Filipina professor friends told me years ago, she says, Ken, after you turn 50, your most important task in life is to forgive your parents for not being perfect and to understand and appreciate that they did the best they could with what they had. Wow. So I have 18 more years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Keep, keep going. 18 more years of resentment yeah. together. Yeah. Bam. Yeah. Forgiveness. Build up that anger now. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that, that stuck with me. And mm-hmm. then I was realizing, you know, my dad's dad, so my paternal grandfather, he came from China to America in 1916, mm. and that was a whole different time. And then eventually he brought my grandmother over with you know, my Aunt Lily, and then had these other kids, including my dad. My dad was the oldest son, but my grandfather died when my dad was like seven Wow. of treatable diseases today, like mm-hmm. diabetes and tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. So my dad really didn't have a dad for very long. And, and even if when, when my grandfather was alive, I'm sure he was really busy with the Chinese grocery store. And plus just the whole cultural thing is Chinese dads don't have that kind of talk, mm-hmm. right? So um, I think my dad learned very early that feelings don't matter. Mm-hmm. Like we need you to go have three paper routes and work in the slaughterhouse because mm-hmm. your mom just lost the store Right. And she's illiterate little girl. You know, she was illiterate from this little village in China. So you're the man of the house. So when I came to appreciate that more, it goes back to my professor friend. It's just like, I think without really being fathered well himself, he did the best he could. He put braces on our teeth. Right. right? Uh, You know, I like telling people like, oh, uh, you know, every year he would buy these uh, boxes of seized candy, nuts and chews because he would get a discount working at McClellan Air Force Base. And so, you know, we we. Bite one and go, oh, that's nasty. And then my dad being Chinese, he's like, let me have it. Like, and he, <laughs> yeah, so he no would waste. waste. Yeah, no waste. So he yeah. would always eat the nasty ones. Yeah. And I wouldn't, I didn't get that. It's like, why would you eat that? that that's got the Brazil nut in it. You know, that, that's got, <laughs> yeah. And then same thing. Brazil yeah. And then, and then my parents would never buy chicken parts because that's too expensive. So they buy a whole chicken. There's six of us. Mm-hmm. So they chop it up. And my dad would wait till 
we all, you know, mm-hmm. jump on the plate and then he eats the backs. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm sitting there like, what is wrong with you? There's so much better parts of the chicken. Later on, years later, I'm like, oh, that's his way of loving us. Right. Oh my gosh. It's the Joy Luck Club moment. Yes, that's right. The worst quality crab. Best quality. <laughs> best quality. <laughs> Waverly always take best, best part of the crab. I mean, seriously, we could just end the podcast now and I'd be so happy. We've lived a lot of we've lived a lot of podcasts like right now. Uh yeah, I mean I think that that's such an important thing that I think that hopefully we all learn at some point in our life is that, you know, it's not like your parents are like ground zero, you know, like mm-hmm. they are just like we are the product products of everything that came before them and everything that came before us, you know, they're like, it's like a whole deck of cards and like, you're the first, you're the first facing card. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And like, you have, <sighs> you know, hundreds and hundreds of years of dysfunctional people. Yeah. I call it pollution <laughs> coming down the river exactly. and landing on my shore. Exactly. Yeah. And like, I don't know, there's this uh, movie called Beginners with Ewan McGregor and um, oh, yeah, yeah. Captain Von Trapp. What's his name? Oh, <laughs> Christopher Plummer. Yes. Christopher Plummer. <laughs> so he's, he's Ewan McGregor's dad and he comes out late in life after his wife passes, I oh, think. Oh, right. Yes. And, um, and Ewan McGregor's character is a cartoonist or an illustrator or something like that. And he kind of like is mentally, mentally processing all of this. And he draws a picture of someone face down with a huge boulder on his back, Mm -hmm. you know, that's like rolled over him and it it says past on it, you know? And it's like, we're just all so dictated and affected by our past. And so it's not, of course it's easy to say as, as, you know, in my thirties, but it's, it's not all your parents, everything that, everything that came before that. Yeah. It's not all their fault. Right. Um, I think, I think the rudest, one of the rudest awakenings for me was, remember I grew up saying my father's the antithesis of everything I'm going to be mm-hmm. when, when I get my own family. Right. So, uh, I'm married, you know, I was like six months and it's not the exact words that my mother would say, but the attitude, the facial expressions, the tone is that annoyed mom that I grew up with towards my dad and my wife's doing this to me <laughs> and, and I'm like wait a minute I'm the anti-dad <laughs> like this this should not be happening and you know why because well okay my dad grew up really without a father I grew up with a father although he was the anti-father and and then it's like and I took psychology and communication classes and I'm a Christian mm-hmm. so I got all this going for me so he didn't have that but I do and what I realized was I mean, if God could speak in an audible voice, I think this is what he was telling me. It's like, uh, kind of humbling, huh? It, it, it's just like, so Mr. Big Shot, Big Pants, it's just like, you grew up in that family like everybody else did, and you were a dry sponge. And so before you even had a, a verbal ability, you were being uh, soaked mm-hmm. with what looked normal to you. Yeah. And so no matter how you behave during your courtship and you know dating and courtship times, now all that's done. Mm-hmm. And so you're kicking into this gear that's been in you 
growing up in your family. It's in your bones. Yeah. And so then I was like super depressed. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh. wow, that pollution is just, it just keeps coming. And then I, 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 my next realization was, no, the difference potentially is that I may be more aware of it. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm doing it, I can actually decide to do something different. And the same thing happened when I finally became a father. And I thought, oh, man, I want to be a dad, you know, so bad. And went through years of infertility and one failed adoption. And we finally get this little girl when I'm 45 and, you know, she's six days old. And I think, well, okay, so I've had all these years to get ready emotionally and, Mm -hmm. you know, everything. And then as soon as she's old enough to bring homework home, my father, my dad's voice comes out, Mm -hmm. right? And it's like, I'm impatient, right? All, All that kind of stuff. And she picks up on it. And just the way I didn't want to be around my father, mm-hmm. she didn't want to be around me when it, mm-hmm. when it came to that. Even now, she's, she's a teenager, and uh, this year she's learning to drive. She says, Dad, let's just... There's that Subaru commercial where the father goes out with the son. <laughs> and she, we're watching this together. She goes, by the way, Dad, you're not doing that with me. Mom's doing that. <laughs> and, and I'm crushed by that, yeah. but I know where it's coming from. So, so that's kind of my second great awakening is... The, I think, April, you're talking about it. It's, it's kind of like the wiring, mm-hmm. the, the programming. It goes deep. Yeah. Right. So it's, I think, just really prideful to think that you can overcome your wiring without ever having yeah. a, a real situation. But I think I'm making progress. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I That's like encouraging. That, yeah. It's <laughs> just like, oh, you know, the other day she came to talk to me and we have a teenage Teenager, boy or girl, they don't really want to talk to you. But she sought me out the other day and she says, hey, dad, I want to ask you about something. Uh, okay, so I stopped everything and uh, we talked for 45 minutes. And, and I thought, I think that was a good thing. Right yeah. now, the other time she came to talk to me about K-pop, <laughs> I, I, I obviously didn't want to stop watching my show. And she was crushed. And she told my wife later, she's like, dad, just like push me off. I'm like, I don't really want to talk about K-pop. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody does, actually. <laughs> yeah. Whereas the second time, she, she wanted to talk to me about atheism and agnosticism. And I said, why? And she says, because some of my friends in my Christian high school are now coming out this week of Spiritual Formation Week as they don't believe. Mm. And, and she goes, um, I think it's really cool they're being honest with me, but I think it's really uncool that the school won't let them talk about it. Oh, weird. Yeah. And, and so I go, okay, that's better than K-pop. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, you, can, you can get on this. <laughs> yeah, I can totally get into this conversation. Mm. Yeah. So, so that's what I'm saying is I, I'm certainly not um, super dad or, or what have you. I, I just think you have to start with the re- realization that the first thing you pack is your baggage. Right? When you're going to go off in your own life, yeah. the first thing you pack is your baggage. Later on, you can kind of, if you have the mindset, start to take some stuff out, but it's in there. Yeah. Well, this morning I was sitting in the car with my boyfriend and we'd gotten to an argument because I was upset, except I was not expressing that I was upset. All right, passive And he obviously could tell. He's like, you do this thing with your mouth. <laughs> I know. And so finally he got me to admit that I was upset, but then I said, why does it matter? Mm. Like, oh. who cares about my, f- who cares about feelings? <laughs> I can't believe I said wow, that. Yeah. Who cares about emotions? Cause I was like getting in the very like, you know, mm-hmm. state of, of conflict with him where I wasn't going to back down, you know, but I was like, who gives a crap? And he's like, I do. Okay. He's like, I, you're upset. And then I want to know that you're upset because I want to try to do what I can do to make you not upset. 
And just because you think that it doesn't matter, it doesn't mean that you can just go off and stew by yourself, you know? Mm. And, but I, I, it really was one of those like out of body experiences where I'm watching my, myself say what, why does feeling, matter? why yeah. does feelings matter? Yeah. You know, like right. it's crazy. Have you ever had that like past inhibiting your body? Well, yeah, no, I'm, I'm always me watching me all the time. I'm like, what's <laughs> happening right now? What am I feeling? Why do I feel this way? It doesn't stop. Um, ENFP, are you an ENFP? Yeah. 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 <laughs> isn't no. everyone, isn't no, everyone, everyone that matters? Like yeah. Isn't I, everyone that matters? My boyfriend ENFP? is right. an ENFP. Yeah. <laughs> Although like people who are feelings oriented and yes. want to be self-aware and then, but for me, like my reaction to those kinds of situations where like someone's trying to like analyze my feelings or like, I would say like feelings don't matter, but I would be like, Oh yeah, feelings don't matter. And then I would like joke about it. Like it would become a, like it would become a, a joke. It would become a, a story or it would become something else, like a diversion tactic. But do you sometimes hear like, like things that your parents would say that you didn't agree with? And then like, see, it's and programming. at some point it yeah. comes out of you. Uh, you know it's what I programming. mean? Yeah. Yeah. I can't like think of anything very specific, but I, I just know that, Oh man, probably the, I think there's like things that I'm like scared that other people will find out. That's what, like for my family, like, you know, like silence, there's like a big premium put on like, you know, like being discreet. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So when like, like when, um, something happens, I just, I'm just like, well, who should know about that? <laughs> what, what are the boundaries of this secret? <laughs> like, you know, and then obviously like, you know, you know, holding secrets and being private and like, you know, respecting people's privacy is important, but then there's, but there's always like an overreaction. Like if something bad happens and it's like, cover it up, cover it up. <laughs> you know, it's like, like dogs, like piling things <laughs> on it. <laughs> we we're, we're good. And I, I I'm kind of curious too. Cause like, um, a lot of times, like when we are in reaction to things that our parents do and we're like consciously like, we want to move against this. When you were talking to, um, your dad and kind of like trying to reestablish those relationships, were you also consciously thinking of your daughter in those moments? Um, like consciously thinking, no, I no. want to be a better. Well, I think, I think that's always in the back of my mind, but there, you know, for the, majority of my life on earth, I have not had a warm connection to my father. And so I had to be laser focused on that. Mm -hmm. You know, in maybe in the back of my mind, I'm hoping, and maybe there's going to be some positive spinoff from this in my relationship with my own daughter. I, I, I like to think that, but it took so much willing that I, I couldn't, I couldn't think beyond that. Mm -hmm. And, and I also had to really I don't know about lower. I, I had to really simplify my expectations of what my dad's response would be, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, you know, I, in my in my fantasy fairy tale version of the story, it's like, oh, Ken, I'm so glad you finally came to me. You finally realized, you know, what what a what a horrible you know person uh, to be married to. Your mom is, and so I have all this now. I want to tell you. Mm -hmm. Do you have two hours? <laughs> Right. And then, and, and, you know, in one version of that, it's not quite a fairy tale. It, it's more more of a, a, a simple movie. Like he invites me to Denny's, you know, and it's that like, moment. he's never done that. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, hey, let's go to let me take you to lunch. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I just I just want to spend some time with you. 
I had to give up all of that. That mm-hmm. like that's not going to happen. We're going to sit down near here Sheldon spot, right? <laughs> and and maybe it's going to go 10, 15 minutes before my mom comes in the room. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah, you had to meet him. And I think I think that's where the difficulty comes in. Where like a lot of our you know, our deep you know, struggles come in because it's like, wait, wait, wait a second. Like, I just think about um, from my doc, like the way that Paul reacted. He's like, you know, like he could have dealt with his crap. So I didn't have to deal with this, too. And um, I don't want to tell him that directly, but you can tell him like it's like we're so like. And not of all of us are angry. Some of us are just like fearful. You know, of just having that moment where we're like, I have to come to you to meet you in your place. You know, that moment when you realize that they did the best that they could and that now it's kind of up to you and you're like, oh, I don't I don't want that. I'm curious to um, just kind of um, to segue unless did you have anything? I I guess um, when you were watching my doc. Mm-hmm. What were your reactions? <laughs> and especially, oh yeah. So way now to work that in though. Way to, yeah. So now that we're talking about my dog, yeah. funny how that came up. Something else to yeah, say. Let's yeah. Talk right. About- yeah. Right. Sure. Um, I'm ready to talk Continue. about me. Yes. No, no, no. Please, let's not talk about me. They, please, please. I, I, I've already done a whole documentary about it. But I, I think, um, what struck me when we talked about it after was that you were struck by the fathers in the documentary. And I'm curious what your reaction was. Cause a lot of, there's a range of reactions that I've gotten about the, the way men are portrayed in the documentary. And I'm just curious how you, yeah. Um, I think on, on the one hand, it reinforced my own experience personally and, you know, beyond that fathers, uh, Asian American fathers, especially, um, tend to be the stoic, um, let's not, let's not go there. You know, kind of things, and so I saw that in the film, and and I, I was like, dang it, that's just, that's just too close to what I think, okay. Mm-hmm. But then I think in the next moment I was really frustrated with that because it's like, why is that so? Mm-hmm. Right? That that's just, does it, is that ever going to change? Mm-hmm. Right? And I and I think it was Paul's father, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, just like he did not want to be there. Mm-hmm. I don't know if having the camera, you know, rolling uh, right. affected that, but I just thought that was a moment where he, even if he was uncomfortable, um, and I and I think deep down, regardless of cultural background, I think a lot of men and therefore fathers, they have this desire to pr- provide for and protect, and so it's like, okay, you have this space, you can you can say, my daughter really needs me to be there for her right now, and so. Even though it makes me uncomfortable, right? I I will do that, but I felt like that's just not that he wasn't he wasn't able to do that. Yeah, so I I just uh, saw those different examples and and just thought, yeah, what is it about Asian dads, Asian American dads that it's just even if it's not natural, like, why won't you go there? Like, you you ate the backs of chickens, <laughs> right? <laughs> you ate the nasty candy from seas, right? And, uh, you know, and, and you didn't divorce mom. I mean, you you stuck it out all these years. Um, so what's up with that? Like, so clearly these other things you did, you went to war, right? You risked your life. So I don't know if they, they we just don't see it in the same way. 
it's it's a hard thing right like definitely like obviously it's what we talked about it's those generations of like the burden like i always i like the phrase that actually comes up a lot for for me is like sins of the father like that's so like you know you wonder like why why was everybody cursed you know and you you look at it and you see these patterns of dysfunctional behavior you know continue continue you know whether it's secrecy or whether it's like just closed you know distance or whatever and uh, when i was explaining it to someone who was in his his head he was like crying out for him to do something you know like you're 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 trying to speak to a screen you know yeah. like and 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 i think you know it's 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 that 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 idea of have not having a tool set i remember physically being unable to say anything about my mom being sick like throughout mm. like when she was sick and like to have that realization i like i knew kind of like empathically where that was happening but i you know like i i wanted to kind of even ask you like if like in your counseling sessions like if you have counseling sessions with like you know asian american asian american males like does that come up like because they're they're somehow un- unequipped to like have an emotional language or be okay with accessing it i mean like the most obvious one is like guys being able, unable to cry mm. i feel like but also just uh, here's here's the other my other theory about why this happens too is that strength is strength is different for like Asian Americans and specifically for males and like, like the quiet strength, the, the, it's that Ali Wong joke of like, my boyfriend smells like responsibility, <laughs> yeah. you know, you know, like he smells like duty and honor, you know? <laughs> and like, there's this sense yeah, that you get trapped in it. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. that's good. But then when it becomes like the only good, the only, th- only way that you express things, you know, like, well, it makes me think of, um, there's a TED talk, um, two TED talks by Brene Brown. I don't know if you've ever seen it. The Power of Vulnerability. Definitely saw that one. That yeah. was like, and then Ooh. the follow-up, she was talking about shame. Uh-huh. And uh, she was saying that, um, she was at a book signing at some you know, bookstore, and this uh, man waited in line very patiently, bought like five books, right? And so okay. she's all into that. And she says, <laughs> well, you know, who are these books for? It's like, well, it's my wife and my four daughters. Right. And she says, oh, that's great. So she's personalizing him. And he says, are you ever going to talk about vulnerability from the man's side? Right. And she says, oh, no, I I just see it from the woman's side. And he said, isn't that convenient? (laughs) What? Yeah. And then he went on. He went on to tell her. And this is one of the things that really sticks out of me from the second TED talk is he said, the people in my life who make me ride that damn white horse Right. And, and constantly go out, you know, even though I'm just totally busted and tired to fight the dragons, it's the women in my life. And so you're extolling the the virtues of women being able to be vulnerable and find these other people. And he's just like, well, it's the women that actually make it difficult for us men to be vulnerable. Right. And I, I think that's kind of what you're saying. And I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not myself putting it all on women, but I think there are these kind of roles. And I think for, um, for Asian American men in particular, uh, maybe the, the cultural twist on it is we're just not expected, like especially for straight men, right? You're just not expected to be emotional, mm-hmm. right? 
Uh, I had a friend, uh, he was my prayer partner when I was going to seminary, and he was a Chinese guy, and uh, his wife was very, I think, together emotionally, and I think he had really been damaged in some way, shape, or form. So she was really frustrated because he couldn't tell her what he was feeling. Yeah. And so she showed me, they were going through counseling, and the counselor gave them uh, this worksheet that had like 64 different simple you know, circle heads on it with, to, to pick the different emotions. Mm. And so as they're having their session, the, the therapist say, um, would you point to the picture that best dis- expresses how you're feeling? Because he couldn't talk about it. Yeah. And, and it was almost like... A pain picture. Yeah, right. It, it'd be like, <laughs> okay, I married a blind person yeah. and I have to learn Braille. Yeah. Right? And I think that was an extreme case. But I think in so many ways, um, Asian American men in particular are trapped. And then you add, if you want to go here, you, you add the Christian piece. Uh-huh. And, and uh, I think we even extend this to how we see God and pastors, especially male pastors. Yeah. So God is, this, um, God is this emotionally distant authority figure that you, you can't ever have an honest heart-to-heart conversation with. And you can't please. Right, and you can never please. And... And that's not the way I believe God is at all, but that's how we see God. One of my, uh, my colleague at uh, Fuller in, in, in the Asian American Initiative, he, he's Korean American, he goes, oh, I think most of, most of us Asian American Christians, we think God's a demon. I go, really? That's kind of strong. He goes, no, it's like he's this impossible to please demon that you're just trying to bring little offerings of good behavior, right? And all this kind of stuff. And it never, ever satisfies him. Mm-hmm. He says, I think it gets to the point where uh, a lot of Asian American Christians, they, they talk about, oh, after I die, I want to I go to heaven. But they don't want to spend eternity with God because yeah. God's the demon. <laughs> I'm like, wow. <laughs> right. right. So, and we, we've been talking recently about the difference between covenant and contract. And he says, we have a covenant relationship with God. That means, he goes, basically the book of Psalms is F you. Oh. Right. And he goes, have you ever heard that in an Asian American church where you can have that kind of strong response to God? Well, a covenant protects you. Yeah. Whereas a contract is up. Oh, you didn't fulfill the yeah. terms of the contract. And so, yeah. So, so, you know, again, I think what we learn in therapy is sometimes expressing your anger, mm-hmm. April, um, <laughs> is, is a legitimate form of intimacy in a relationship. Mm. And so again, back to my time in therapy, um, you know, uh, my therapist says, all right, so, uh, you know, how do you feel about anger? And I said, oh, I saw my parents fight every single day. And so once I got married, once I have a kid, I says, I can never be angry. And he goes, you know, Ken, it is unhealthy to be angry all the time and fight, but it's not healthy to never fight. Mm-hmm. He, he says, because there's times when you're upset. I mean, expectations aren't met, people are disappointed, someone actually does or says something. So for you to stuff it because you are so wired to not want any conflict, that's actually denying the people that you're closest to a chance to really hear how you're feeling, right? Mm -hmm. And to work it through. And it's like, oh man. And I I think the same thing happens in spades when you add the the Christian, uh, this distortion of Christianity to it. And, and then I think pastors, Asian American pastors, especially the male ones, uh, which is, I think the majority, they get trapped in that too. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh yeah, so I can never show any emotions to the congregation, right? I, I you know, one of the, my wife asked me recently, she says like, so why are you retiring from pastoring? I, I said, 
you know, when you're a pastor, there are these moments that things happen. You go, really? <laughs> right. But then I get over it. Right. I said, it's been taking me longer and longer to get over that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, really? I really don't want to be dealing with this anymore. And, and I said, but it is like the never, there's never permission to even say that. Yeah. Like, to be a human oh, being. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I tell people, I say, you know, being a pastor is like death by a thousand paper cuts. <laughs> that sounds awful. Yeah. In your eye. Yeah. 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 It's everywhere. And you, you can never see it coming. And then, but you never get to complain. You never get to tell people, stop. Yeah. Right. So we've built all these systems, us Asian Americans, Christian or not, we've built all these systems for, uh, to strip out the whole range of emotional, uh, you know, responses. Uh, and I think especially for the men. Yeah. I, yeah. Women, I think are allowed to feel more. And yet, you know, like the way that they then decide to feel like, I think gets turned inwards, you know, it just, mm-hmm. it just doesn't get ex- like, it's not that it doesn't get expressed, but then it's like, we have it. And then it's like, it's like lock it back up. Right. Well, I think that, you know, Today, you know, I think women are allowed to be complex, you know, they're allowed to be, you know, the traditional, like soft, nurturing, you know, weak, if you want to say, um, uh, and then, you know, we're celebrating women who are strong at the same time, like the whole, like, um, I'm, I'm totally forgetting names of things, but like Mockingjay, what is Hunger Games. Okay. So we're like, yeah, Katniss, strong woman, you know, she's not so great with her emotions, but she's like getting it done, you know? And so we were kind of allowed to be nuanced and have that sort of full experience in some ways. Um, But males haven't quite been given that, you know, like men who are seen as sensitive are not being well, seen weakness. That's yeah, seen as weakness. They're seen as weak. Right. Yeah, they're seen as weak. Vulnerability is not a good thing. It's shameful, you know, like, yeah. um, and so they're not quite allowed to have that sort of like, uh, complex, like 360, you know, degree, like, uh, you know, being a real human being. Well, right. and, and, you know, to fill out the picture, I, I think there's a flip side, which is, Sometimes because showing feelings is seen as weakness, so when women in our life, whether they're our wives or our daughters, show the weakness, and then we don't show our feelings, that looks like strength. Right. Right? Mm. So, so sometimes I think the women feel like, I feel so terrible that I'm just falling apart. Mm-hmm. Right? And, you know, us men are saying, that's okay. I'll, <laughs> Let's fix this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first, I'll just let you have your time. <laughs> right? And then it just feels like superior. Mm-hmm. It, it's just uh. like... Okay, are you getting close to being done? Because I have a solution, right? So, so I think it's not like all these men, Asian American men, are just waiting for someone to ask them, like, what are you feeling? Right. I think there's been a lot of experiences and a lot of reinforcement. We're not sharing our feelings and, and looking above it all actually is extolled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's like that opposite thing, like, like buck up. Yeah. yeah, you know, get over it. Be yeah. a man. Yeah. So again, little boy, little girl, they're playing on the same playground. Little, mm-hmm. They both fall down, right? The little girl's crying. There, there. That's okay, right? Little mm-hmm. boy's crying. Hey, don't rub it. Right. <laughs> don't touch it. Yeah. Be a man, Russell Peters. Yeah. 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 Oh my God! I told you. <laughs> yeah. He always needs to go there. Be a man. Be a man. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. 
It's okay to do your Chinese accent. I give you permission. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we're, we're Chinese. We can do that, right? Well, the thing is, Russell Peters does a better Chinese accent than me. He's like steeped in the Cantonese yeah. accent. I'm like, yeah. whoa, Russell Peters. Yeah. You went deep. You went method. He was probably back there in that stall with that dude, just yeah, like yeah. learning the accent. <laughs> but, oh man, no, I think... You know, like in in talking about this, I'm I want to start kind of transitioning even to like, like riffing on like things that we can do or things that we've seen to help, you know, empower Asian males to be be more expressive or to acknowledge that emotions are weakness or, you know, like, can you think of someone in your life who has is healthy about that? Or has has the ability to express themselves. An like, Asian person? Yeah, an Asian male, like, in your life that's like, you know what, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm working on this. Or I'm struggling with this. Yeah, acknowledging right. that. Right. It's okay if you want to say me. <laughs> yeah. Actually, so yeah. Ken Fong's probably the only guy. Yeah. Yes. I know. That's a new form of superiority. <laughs> yes. He's winning I, I, at life. I can name. Uh, I can not. I don't want to name anybody, but I can think of a couple of people, and yeah. it, it is hard. Yeah. Like I can see the struggle, you know, right. and how it. They kind of like you know when they want to talk about their feelings, they kind of like become very serious and quiet and a little ashamed of it, you yeah. know, and yeah. Yeah. I, I, so I mean, how can we empower? I don't know. Just well, part of it is I think it's just like I'm an advocate for women in leadership and ministry. As, as a male, I think there's no way that's self-serving, mm-hmm. right? And versus just making women do that. In this case, it's almost the opposite where I feel as a male, I can't just tell them, the other men, you should do this. I need to show myself doing it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there may be some men go like, that was ugly. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you just created an awkward oh, situation. Oh, man, I don't ever <laughs> want to do that. But but even in my mess, my sermons and stuff, I, I shared about my visit home with my father. And I actually caught myself weeping, right? I didn't expect to get that choked up. Uh-huh. And everyone felt it, mm-hmm. yeah. right? I don't do that on a regular basis. But afterwards, people, men and women, were saying, thank you for going there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was, we felt like you you gave us a gift, Mm-hmm. Right. Because uh, we, we never feel the humanity. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's not a lot more books and lectures is like you just need to see some examples, however imperfect of, you know what, I'm choosing to to be more fully, fully uh, dimensional uh, to recapture my feelings. Uh, I may be an Asian American male. I have all this, you know, blah, 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 blah. but it's like, you know what? But life is in that direction. Mm-hmm. And and um, whether you follow me or not. That's where I'm going. Hmm. And that's, that's pretty much been part of my path, you know, the last 10, 20 years is to say, whether or not you think this is appropriate, I have to do this to, to actually uh, have integrity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, yeah. The whole uh, literally practicing what you preach. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I guess um, just, just to kind of like, you know, um, continue the riff, like, uh, the two people that I like, I have definitely have a couple people in my life where I feel like we've talked about emotional things and like, you know, had those like really deep conversations where like we cry together and stuff like, and, and, and those are like moving moments. But when I think about it, we're all not there yet. Like in terms of when we talk and, 
you know, you give them that space to feel and to process. And it's, it's, it's really cool. And then, you know, like I would definitely explicitly tell, you know, like a guy, yeah, you should be able to cry, like totally cry, whatever. Like, let's all like get on each other's shoulders and just like soak our shirts. Like, <laughs> I don't, <laughs> okay. Go yeah, ahead. yeah. Yeah. This is too, too vivid. <laughs> But then when Human I think about pyramid of crying, yeah, yeah, just, <laughs> just please, no, no mucus, like, no mucus. Yeah. yeah, suck that back up. Yeah. but like let the let the brine yeah, tears. Flow. Brine is good. Yeah, but that other stuff. Oof. Yeah, I. But you know, like I'm not still able to tell myself that crying is okay. Do you know what I'm saying? That like sometimes I'm still like for you or for yeah, the person for me. sharing with you. Like I could tell Ken, you should you should totally you know what crying is strength. You mean Being like when you're when you're alone, you can't cry because you think it's weak because that's what you. Oh, yourself. anywhere doesn't matter if it's in private or public. I still hate crying. I'm still like I'm still like in the therapy office. I'm like I'm not gonna cry. <laughs> Just suck those tears <laughs> right back into your eyes. That's right. It's like it's <laughs> gonna right. come out of sweat. Yeah, and now we're good. <laughs> so, but. Has you know, your therapist, has she succeeded in making you cry? Well, uh, the first one, I definitely had a moment, but it was just one. And I'm just one tear. Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> single. Yeah. And yeah. then I caught it. And I yeah, that's it right. Bottled it. Yeah. No, but then like, but like, see, so, so then I, I, in the same way, there's a sense of integrity in terms of allowing yourself to, to be vulnerable and to. You know, like I can want it for other people, but it's also hard for me to want it for myself. And so I, you know, like I think men and women both are just trying to work on these things, like in terms of whatever, trying to improve on the next thing and and acknowledging that you're going to screw it up. Well, the other thing I think (laughs) is, is even if you touch that moment uh, or someone with you touches that moment and it's just vulnerable and it's authentic and it's. It's, it's firing on all the emotional cylinders. You can't then um, crystallize that and say, this is how we're always going to interact. Huh. You know what I'm saying? So, so it's like cherish that you touch that moment, right. yeah. but it's ephemeral. Right. Huh. Right. And, and it's like, we can go there. That, that is possible. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, we're all too busy. It takes so much work. It, right. it drains us. Right. And, and so don't be so hard on ourselves that we don't live in that moment. I don't think we can. Yeah. I, I think it's we just to too pr- much. Productive members yeah. of society. Maybe right. it would be, yeah, too much. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I think it challenges the whole notion of intimacy. So if I'm that way with everybody, then the people that I want to know are really special in my life. How do they, how do they know when I'm that way with everybody? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where do I go with them? Right. Right. So, so I think it does start, um, certainly with ourselves and, and we say, can I, can I go deeper into my own humanity? Um, can I go past all the voices and, and walls that say, because of your gender, because you're a Christian, whatever, right? Um, no, you're not allowed to feel those things. Mm-hmm. It's just like, uh, if I'm anything, I'm human, mm. right? Uh, the difference between me and artificial intelligence Right. All these sci-fi movies is like we have emotions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you see, you know, data on uh, Star Trek Next Generation, whatever, Mm -hmm. I mean, or Spock. Right. It's like, okay, they they think clearly, but there's a flat affect. Mm -hmm. And and so like, well, I'm not that. Mm -hmm. So how do I how do I kind of more blossom out 
um, into my own humanity. And and whether or not, and this is the thing, this is what I got from Brene Brown. She, she's like, basically, um, you don't need anybody else to say that that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's your choice to live that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in one of my podcast interviews with uh, kind of the Asian American Caitlyn Jenner, uh, she said, yeah, at 60 something years old, I decided I have to resolve this. Mm-hmm. And it's, and she says, you know, Ken, it was a quick sorting out process. Mm-hmm. I, I found out who was with me and who wasn't with right. me. Right. And yeah. And, and, and I go, oh my God, that's a human thing. That's not a transgender thing. Right. right? And she's like, I don't want to die being the wrong person. Right. And so we all have a short amount of time. And so she says, yeah, this was really to say, I have chosen to be who I am. And, and I'm like, wow, how many of us can really say that we've made that same choice? Sure. So that's that's been a conscious effort on my part is like, I don't care what my title is, my role is, what you have, you know, your expectations is like I'm on this journey to be more human. And that means sometimes, whether it's as a husband or father or just as an individual, there are sometimes like I'm just, uh, I'm feeling something that uh, I need to express. Yeah. And like some people are going to accept it. Some don't. It's like, well, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And being okay with that. That's like the next step, right? She's like, wait, why don't people accept my feelings? <laughs> accept my feelings. Here they are. This is me. I put myself out there. Anyone? I made a documentary. <laughs> Somebody. Take care of me. Yes. I know. Not everybody respects that. But yeah, I think sounds like a lot of steps. <laughs> no, but the, the, I think towards. the most important step is to, is to decide that this is the better way to live. Hmm. Right. And then you just you let everything fall where it does. But you're still living that way. Mm hmm versus, oh, this is all conditional and other people saying it's also a good idea. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, right. <laughs> I know what that's like. Yeah. And it's too subjective. If you like what you've heard so far on this podcast, check out episode 109 called Asian Pacific Islander Masculinity. Here's a quick excerpt. I think that a lot of kind of what people traditionally think about as as masculinity um, comes a lot from what white people think masculinity is. We did this kind of backwards. Usually we just kind of like we ease into the topic and then we're like and then we're like, no, we're in the meat. But I, I, I like that we got into the meat really quickly. But I do want to talk a little bit about your podcast and sure. like because um, I think I think you've been having like some amazing epiphanies with your guests and a variety. Like, what's that journey of uh, doing the podcast been like for you? Yeah, well, this is totally cool. It's like one pat- podcaster talking to another podcaster. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're gonna talk trade <laughs> yeah. now. We should, we're just gonna shut it down. Yeah. Now we're just gonna exchange stories. All of our horrible guests. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. All of you need to come back. Yeah. Well, um, you know, we started on May first, and. Uh, uh, before we started, I had never listened to a podcast. So that was kind of an interesting uh, suggestion from the guy who's now my director and producer. He says, hey, I think you should do a podcast. Mm-hmm. So I, I knew the idea, but I'd never consumed it. Mm-hmm. So yours was one of the first ones I listened to. Whoa. Yeah, right, right. So, um, you know, one thing I get even sitting here with with you guys is like, I realize I'm very lonely. <gasps> 
Like I, I don't have someone to, to bounce off of. But that's okay. Get, you yeah. should get Chris in there. No, he doesn't. He does one. He's just like laughing, trying to hold it back and stuff. But but you know, fortunately, um, and I think this comes from being a preacher. I, I'm really good at imagining an audience, even if nobody's there, even if everybody's asleep, right? So. Um, yeah, we, we set out to say, well, there, there needs to be another podcast out there that's, I mean, yours is Asian American culture and the intersection with mental health. And so for us, it's like, well, we just want to give a platform to all kinds of interesting people, both known, known and not known, who are Asian American, uh, who need to tell their story and not just kind of promote something that they're into. Mm-hmm. And then I just have always, ever since being a little kid, I've always had a natural curiosity about everybody. So um, I genuinely want to know who you are, mm-hmm. right? And I think because, you know, these podcast formats, they're much longer than the five minutes they get on Jimmy Fallon and right. you know, Jimmy Kimmel, because um, we can compare ourselves. Uh, <laughs> We're definitely at their level. <laughs> yeah. Look at us. Okay, let's do the band. Band, you know, anyone? Yeah. The Roots? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Right, so, so the guests, I think, have only had these soundbite opportunities. So at first, uh, I, I'm sure you've experienced this. They're like, well, what are we going to talk about for all this time? Right. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, we're way over our time. And they're like, <laughs> oh, my God, you took me down the rabbit hole. And it's just like, yeah. Uh, so, so I think um, it's, it's definitely been a surprise um, just how interesting all my guests have been. Um, I've only had one guest right now that's already um, come through that I wasn't excited about talking to. And my producer says, Ken, you've been very gracious to everybody else. I forbid you from being ungracious to, you know, <laughs> to this guest. And, and it's like, I'm glad he said that, right? Because I prejudged and you know, pre-thought all this kind of stuff. And I think that would have made for a really lousy uh, conversation. I, I think he, he would have really been feeling like I was... I was just kind of there criticizing him. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's been a good journey for me because um, I think in life in general, um, I, I like telling people this. I said, you know, when you have Baptist minister on your name, I don't know if your, dad <laughs> feels, your dad is Southern Baptist. I said, people have such low regard and such low expectations, right? Mm-hmm. So it's really easy to impress them, <laughs> right? So I go, so, you know, in public, it's like Christian. Oh, Really? Yeah. Evangelical. Oh. Yeah. And I said, before you get to Baptist, there's like brain damaged Neanderthal. <laughs> and then there's Baptist. Yeah. So, so Southern Baptist. Oh, Southern Baptist. Worst. We're off the charts. Yeah. yeah. So um, I think it's been uh, just uh, remarkable how the guests have been surprised. And like, wow, I, you let me talk. Wow, you didn't just argue with me. Mm-hmm. Wow, you actually seem like you were changed by something I said. Uh, and that's, that's really one of my huge values. And I'm trying to, in, in addition to all this Asian American voicing and stuff like that, I, I'm just trying to be a model, an example of someone who happens to be a Christian who gives space to other people. And two-thirds of our guests have not been Christians. And those have been some of the most fascinating conversations. I bet. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my, my one favorite unexpected moment was uh, there's this Korean American comedian who was a pastor's kid named PK. And oh, so, PK, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he was like my second guest. So he comes on, and I'm all set to hear about how did you get into this. And he, but he started telling me this sob story, you know, this tragic story. He's the black sheep of his family. He didn't go to seminary, and he's a stand up comedian. And then he looks at me and goes, So, Pastor, um, my dad died several years ago. Do you know if he can see what's on my computer monitor from heaven? <laughs> Right. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Yeah, I said honestly, I've never thought about that, but let's let's think, let's kind of parse that out. I go, well, heaven's real, and it's really so awesome. Why would anyone in heaven be any interested in anything that's happening on earth? Yeah, they don't care about your browser history. Yeah, right. And he's like. Really? <laughs> he goes, that's really comforting. I go, well, I'm not giving you permission to just watch nonstop porn. Yeah. Okay. Well, but anyway, so there's been these kind of moments where it's like, oh, I'm pastoring you now. That, that's just kind of fun. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, there have been, been invitations and opportunities. One of your previous guests, Jenny, like we had a great time. And oh, then yeah, at the end she goes, great. hey, you're pretty funny. She's like, how would you like to do open mic night for newcoming you know, comedians? And, you know, my producer's off there going, do it. <laughs> I'm like, uh, it's one thing to have a sense of humor. It's another thing to have five minutes to make everybody laugh. And, and it's like, okay, I'm going to do it, right? And Pressure. So, yeah, so we, I did it. It was, it was fun. But, you know, like, like uh, your other guest uh, who's on, they're like, Christina. oh, I did my first. Yeah, like I did my first one. Is it Atsuko? Oh, Atsuko, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, we did my first one. Oh, can't wait to do the next one. I said, um, yeah, I'm not doing this again. <laughs> but I'll be in the pulpit on Sunday. <laughs> Try the veal, right? So, so anyway, that that's that's been an unexpected uh, plus is that some of my guests have actually brought me into their world, mm-hmm. and and it's like I, I consider that a high compliment. Yeah, so it's it's been great. Um, yeah, I tell people all the time, it's the thing I'm doing right now. I have too many jobs. It's the thing I'm doing around that gives me the most energy. I have the most fun, but I don't get paid for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, we're paid by uh, today. It's Pepsi. <laughs> wow, I'm so jealous. Last week it was uh, Homeboy <laughs> Industries. I'm just like looking around for brands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, this um, is a uh, Johnny Cat, home. Johnny Cat Kitten Litter, uh, Kitty Litter. That's that's gonna be our, uh, our go to. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Johnny Cat Litter. I'm wow, really that disturbed so that you know that. No, is there the, really a Johnny no, Cat Litter? No, song? You I don't, just made that up. Yeah, that was. A jingle that came from my okay, heart. Okay, wow. <laughs> Why aren't I hired right now? <laughs> what am I doing with my life? I should obviously be singing jingles. Um, no. Uh, so, well, um, thank you so much for coming, Ken. I, I, I wanted to um, also give you like a little bit of time to just talk about anything that's like, if you want to like promote your doc or like anything oh, oh, sure. or promote your pulpit services. I don't know, whatever. Yeah, right. Just yeah. really quickly before we close up and yeah. I don't know, should we, should we say like one cool thing about our dads? No. Okay. We're done. We did a whole podcast about it. She hates when I do this. Cause I do this like whole, like let's end with a happy moment. No, another that, jingle. Yeah. That was the worst <laughs> jingle yet. I apologize to the audience. April's thinking. So let's hear about your documentary oh yeah, yeah. that's an answer okay <laughs> way to shift it April. Uh, yeah. documentaries are natural segues oh yeah yeah well first let me say uh to your listeners who haven't heard of our podcast uh, they can find it on itunes and uh, stitcher it's called asian america the ken fong podcast and uh it's also asianamericapodcast.com right so they can check that out um yeah the documentary uh we've been working on it for almost four years now the working title is the ken fong project and uh for those of you who think well that's so narcissistic naming the movie after yourself it's like it's a working title <laughs> we had to raise money we don't know what it's going to be called yet but you know you guys would understand that so um it's it's really um the guy who's producing my podcast is actually uh, an award-winning documentary filmmaker. And so he, he heard what I was trying to do personally uh, and, and as a pastor of uh, Evergreen. And he goes, you know, we gotta make, we got to make a movie of this. Mm. So um, it's my journey as uh, a pastor of some 
notoriety um, to try to find a way home for what I call spiritually homeless people. They, they are uh, LGBTQ, Asian American in particular, uh, but not exclusively uh, openly gay people. And um, I'm finding they went to Wheaton College, they went to Biola, uh-huh. Fuller, Talbot, right? All this stuff. And we just have not acknowledged that they exist. And uh, as I've gotten to know many over the last seven years, um, they've said, you know, um, even though I, I, I wish I wasn't, I'm hardwired as an evangelical. So I went to the metropolitan community, very gay affirming church, and they don't talk about Jesus enough. Uh. I'm not putting them down. I'm just an evangelical. <laughs> then I went to All Saints in Pasadena. And again, it's just like, it's not an evangelical church, not putting them down. And uh, even though evangelicalism has hurt me so much, yeah. uh, that's just how I'm wired. And, and so I said, one of the interesting ironies is at a time when the millennial generation, the uns and the duns and the nuns are, are saying, you can't make me go to church. There are these gay Christians, four out of 10 gay people in America are, are identified as Christians wow. um, saying, can I come to your church? Right. So, so at a time when churches are worried that we're losing you know, this generation, there's all the people like I would come in a heartbeat. And so, um, the movie is getting close to being done with the shooting. You know how documentaries go. Are we sure. done? Are we done? Nope. Yeah. You have Just an ending one yet? More, yeah. Just that one more one scene. One more shot. One more shot. Yeah. How much money do we have left? So, uh, but I think we're getting really, really close to uh, being done with the, the shooting. And um, uh, by the end of this year, uh, we want to have all the footage transcribed and then work on a um, teaser, maybe 10 minutes. It'll probably be a 30, 35 minute movie. We usually we were initially thinking full length, but it's like no. So then we have to go after the big funders, so Asian Americans in media, Sundance, that kind of stuff. And what we what we hope is that uh, we'll actually get to take it to Sundance and some of the big big film festivals. And I think what's unique uh, about this film is that it's trying to find a middle place. It's it's not coming from one extreme or the other. Right. And and one of the hidden. Uh, I think real virtues of this film is that we have an openly gay Asian American lesbian that's a social producer that yeah. I that her dad was my student when she was six years old. Oh wow! Right, so I didn't know her, and uh, we've become really good friends. And in the beginning, I was you know, so we had to kind of work out our relationship while we're working on this movie. Sure. And it's like, well, what other film on this issue actually has straight and gay people on the crew? Mm-hmm. So whatever, you know, I'm saying publicly, it's like she's she's talked to me privately and she knows that I, I have integrity, that I'm still kind of... And there's times when there's like a straight ally who's our producer and she's like, you're not saying it, you know, uh, affirming enough. And then I'll turn to the lesbian. I'm like, do you have a problem with that? She goes, nope. <laughs> she, she goes, I, I know what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. So... God willing, um, the movie will come out uh, sometime next year. Um, I think the issue is only getting more and more live and relevant. Sure. I, I also think, uh, like I went to the Linsanity premiere, and it's like, oh. oh, that was kind of fun. And it's like, oh, well, when we come out with our movie, I'm, you know, you had your little premieres. It's like, there's going to be a bigger target on my back, right? Because yeah. there's going to be more people who know this. And it's just like, okay, but that's okay. Right? Yeah. Yeah, so it's 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 documentaries are scary that way. Yeah, it really is, and uh, um, you know I think the fact that it's it's based in the life that I'm living right now, and I'm seeing the lives change. 
I'm seeing also the empty seats sometimes in, in the church where people are like, forget it. Mm. And it's like, you know what? That's okay. Um, this, this is something that needs to be said and needs to be done. Uh, I think it's one of those things where it's going to take a while before people will realize, oh my God, like that was so important. Someone had to go first. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. So please uh, keep your eyes and ears open to something that right now is called the Ken Fong Project. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait to hear what the final title yeah. is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Project of Ken Fong. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, something that's really not going to open me up to being accused of narcissism. So. <laughs> Just like the Ken Fong podcast. Right, so. yeah, yeah, Asian right. America, yeah. the Ken Fong yeah. podcast. <laughs> I would just Ken Fong the Ken Fong. Yeah. On Ken Fong. Yeah. Kind of like the comedy comedy festival. Yeah, that's right. A festival about comedy. Yes. That's what uh, Jenny and uh, Atsuko did. Yeah. Cheers to them. I hope that they have another one. Um, But uh, yeah, I, I guess, wow, this was an amazing time. Thank you so much for sharing and yeah, being so open and vulnerable on something that's so public. So uh I I didn't feel at risk as as much. <laughs> I'm so glad. Because so, of Vanessa's check-in. Yeah. <laughs> How am I feeling? All right, they're gonna be focused on what can. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I said, it's a choice I make. I, I choose to live in this space. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully, we're all moving towards better spaces too. So. Any, any any closing words? <laughs> I keep looking at you, April, because I'm like, I know. Do something. Close it up. <laughs> I don't know how. <laughs> Maybe maybe another jingle. Do you want a jingle? Okay. Do you have a dad song? You know, I can't even I can't even think of a dad song. I I can think of a mama song by Boys to Men. Mama, you know (laughs) I love you. Yeah, that's it. I love you. Oh, Cast in the Cradle, but that's like a depressing song. Oh yeah, maybe not. Cast in the cradle and the silver spoon. (laughs) Little boy blue and the Can you man just do more uh, Joy Luck Club? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what? Dads are kind of absent. Like men as husbands yeah. are there, but not. Shh. Can can you do more? <laughs> <laughs> Joy Luck Club yeah, quotes? Yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> Should we just end with that? Like, like worst quality craft. Well, do you know anybody know any other quotes from? Oh, Joe one Hogan? day quit, next day play. <laughs> Not so easy anymore. <laughs> yes. Or May 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 Like that's the end of the movie I'm like this is the worst <laughs> that, that moment where they like see each other on the boat Yeah oh. so anticlimactic Anyways Oh okay. that's how the movie ends Oh spoiler Spoiler Okay it's only been out for 30 years <laughs> <laughs> It's only wildly quoted yeah, by right. podcasters around the yeah. world Around the world <laughs>